This is Bentley Manning. And this is Kellen Day. This is an experiment to see what happens when church gets canceled. And we find new ways to connect. This is... This is... This is... Empty Pews. everybody, it's Kellen. Um, we're coming to you from Highlands, North Carolina, but we were both just out of town and are back here. We were both just out of town. I was in Asheville. Who are you? I'm Bentley. Hey, Bentley. Hey, Kellen. Where, where were you? Uh, we were in Charleston for the weekend. What a great place. It is a great place. I love it. Yeah, it's uh, the holy city is what I hear they call it. Why do they call it that? Probably because there are so many churches. Yeah. Um, It's great, though. A city and the beach being so close together is very novel to me. Like, there are no cities. I guess Traverse City in Michigan is close to the beach, but it's not really a big city. But that's just, like, not something I'm used to. I know lots of people in the world are. Like as folks I'm, in Miami get right, it. Right. As I'm saying this, it's like lots of cities are on the coast, and so they're going to be near a beach. I get that. But like my life has not really... Um, like Tel Aviv. Yeah. I, I'm, I know. Lots of places are next to beaches. Cape but that's Town. novel to me. As it, as Let's like, just keep naming places. San Francisco. <laughs> so many places. San Diego. Literally so many places. But it's new okay. to you. It's just new to me, and I love it. I think it's great. Makes sense, right? Yeah. Like, you could, it makes sense, too, why a city would want to be next to the water. <laughs> you know, like trade. <laughs> I know. But it, it was, you, but you enjoyed it. You enjoyed it. <laughs> I just, I really liked it is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It was, we had a good time. Um... Anyway, Bentley and I really, really tried to get a podcast out to y'all last week, and our week just got, I don't know, kind of like slammed a little bit all of a sudden, and we could not finish it, and I just want to say I'm sorry, y'all. We couldn't do it. I don't want to say I'm sorry. (laughs) Of course you don't. Well, because what I want to say is like, look, here's the deal. The podcast, we've done this before, but I just want to remind folks, this started when we were literally locked down and couldn't leave our homes and now there's more going on and it's just sometimes it's harder to get a podcast out yeah i think our our folks are like really understanding and i just do you want to say you're sort sorry of like self-imposed expectation to try to get a podcast out whenever we can and we started it we had this whole introduction and then we just didn't have any other time in the week it was crazy well, I, if, it's, if it's appropriate to say that we're sorry, then I'd certainly want to be appropriate. And I'd like to say I'm sorry as well. Do you really feel sorry, though? Do you have to feel it to say it? No. I don't think so. I'm sorry. Sorry, I'm not sorry. I'm not Sorry, I'm not torn apart. 
But do we want to say something more about uh, forgiveness, saying we're sorry, kind of maybe within the kind of context of a Christian community? Sure. (laughs) Sure, I would love to talk about that. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is that we read um, a portion of the Gospel of Matthew in the Daily Office Lectionary this morning that, you know, reminds us um, before you go to the altar, that if you remember that a brother or sister has accused you of some of wrong, um, that you should go and be reconciled to them. And which... I mean, it's just like for those of us who come to the altar every Sunday, sort of a high order, right? Um, for us to be remembering and intentional and um, proactive about going to those who um, have wronged us or we've wronged and attempting to establish peace. Well, Kellen, one of the things that I'm thinking about at the moment, which is related, I think, is it's not uncommon, right, for folks to be in a church, and then when conflict arises, they leave, right? Mm-hmm. And the critique is that, you know, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. You're, you're Christians, you're in a church, and yet there's this conflict, so I'm gone. Um, but one of the things that this gospel reading kind of makes clear is that we can assume, I think pretty reasonably, that that there will be conflict. There'll be... There'll be reason for disagreement, um, disappointment in a, a community of any kind, um, and that's a normal, expected kind of part of life, I think. Yeah, and the sort of way through that is not to turn your back on one another, right? It's not to sort of head out the door, at least hopefully not long term, (laughs) Um, but to turn towards each other, to go to the people in the community that you're struggling with, to try to sit down, see them, be seen, work through it. And, And I think this connection, though, it may not be exactly what is in mind in the gospel reading per se, but to read it today and to think about the Eucharist and the need to uh, be forgiven to forgive before receiving, to be reconciled with other people, I think is a helpful way for us to kind of learn more or understand a, a bit more about what's going on in the Eucharist itself and why such, you know, why would there be this need to reconcile with other people? I think it tells us something about what's happening in the Eucharist. And maybe, Kellen, what comes to mind uh, just for now is that... Um, there are very few sacraments that we participate in as individuals. And the Eucharist is certainly not something that we participate in as individuals. We, we participate in the Eucharist as a whole body. And that, that's kind of what's coming to my mind right now. Yeah, I guess we should be clear about how the Eucharist, though maybe is not dependent on us, least um the grace of the eucharist the grace of christ offering himself to us to the world right like that that isn't even really dependent on our own response to it it certainly is enhanced um 
it is honored. It is, um, it can bear more fruit when we respond to Christ's gift through the Eucharist. But it's not necessarily up to us to make that happen. I, Kellen, I think that is absolutely right. And I think, I think what we're saying, I think what I'm thinking what is that, of course, uh, the Eucharist is pure gift uh, for imperfect people. But, and this is something that may not be, I mean, this is, I'm asking what you think about this. It certainly places certain demands on our lives. Yes. So it's a gift, but it's, un, I mean, it's a kind of gift that comes with some expectations, some demands. And one of those is that having taken Christ's body into our bodies, that we would be a people who know what it is uh, to offer forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, know what it is to say we're sorry. Um, that's kind of what I'm thinking, right? Like what kind of demands does that gift put on our lives? Which is a weird way of talking because normally <laughs> I don't think we think of gifts as being something that have strings attached. I know, I'm thinking about this word demands in light of the Eucharist. And I, I, don't, I don't know what I... I think about that. I, I'm um, I'm mulling it over. I'm wondering if there's a. I mean, I think in the Eucharist is you know there are graces that are bestowed on people, right? There are um, there are ways of being in the world that are made possible because of our participation in the Eucharist. I guess I might call them demands. Yeah, I can't come up with a better word for them right now. But invitation might be getting at it also. Like it's not it's not a gift that coerces us, but invites us, right? All right, Kellen, so I do think you're on to something. I, I think the emphasis is a bit different with demands or invitation. Just since we're talking, I tend to think of baptism as being more invitational. And the Eucharist as being something that kind of puts some demands on our lives. That's just kind of my sense of this. But either way, <laughs> I think we would, on the same page here, that the, that the Eucharist would ask us to be a people who are ready to say we're sorry and a people who are ready and willing to offer forgiveness to others. Whether that be a demand or an invitation, it's certainly part of what it means to live Eucharistically. Yeah, and I guess I can see a sort of um, pastoral situations or uh, even in my own life using one or the other word as um, sort of more relevant in that moment. So I think that's right. I totally agree. Like, of course, the Christian life invites us and sort of demands uh, a different way of being in the world. Both are true. Um, we realize this conversation maybe has gone on a little bit longer um, and has been sort of tangential, but I think it's important. And so we continue to talk about it off mic and, and what we were just were saying, I think, deserves to be recorded. So, Sure. So sh- say what we were saying? Yeah. So I, one of the things that I was just thinking about after we just said all that we said is that 
um, for folks who have received a lot of invitations in their lives, um, have been invited to kind of everything, I suspect that a word like demand is more helpful pastorally. Um, but of course, and Kellen, I mean, I think to your point, demand might sound different to different folks. Right. I mean, I was, and I responded for someone whose life has been full of demands. Um, maybe an invitation is how the gospel comes to them. All right, Kellen, you're preaching, so I'll do my best to give a short summary of um, a portion of Mark's gospel, uh, beginning in the ninth chapter. Uh, In it, one of the disciples comes to Jesus and asks about uh, people casting out demons in his name, and basically Jesus says, uh, don't stop them. Um, If they're not against us, uh, they're for us. Um, And then this next part where Jesus turns to the disciples and gives this kind of really stern word and says, if you cause um, any of these little ones who believe in me uh, to stumble, it would be greater uh, for you to have a millstone thrown around your neck and be drowned in the sea. And then he says, you know, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. And he keeps going with all these different parts of the body and tells you to cut them out, off, pluck them out, all that kind of stuff. Um, It's a tough gospel reading, Kellen. Yep, it is. (laughs) Um, So I can't wrestle with all of the complexity of this text on a 20-minute podcast. So I think I'm just going to focus on the first part of it and not the millstone being, you know, hung around your neck, part of it. And here, Jesus, right, sort of refutes his disciples who kind of want to draw a line between them and those other people who are curing and, um, you know, driving demons out in the name of Jesus. And I'm I'm struck with just sort of the the gatekeeping that's happening here by the disciples and how Jesus is kind of like, you don't need to be my gatekeeper. You don't need to protect um, what I'm not interested in protecting. And and I guess I'm just wondering like on a human level, because I think most of us to some extent, like to be gatekeepers. Why we do this? Like, what is it about us that loves to draw the line and say, you are with us, and these folks over the line are not with us? 
I don't know if you have thoughts about that, Bentley. Kellen, I think that's a wonderful question and a wonderful way to think about the first part of this gospel reading. Uh, looking back at it, it seems to me that uh, part of the issue um, that John has when he asks Jesus about this question of people casting out de- demons in Jesus's name, but they don't follow, they're not following us. It seems like Jesus realizes that his mission will be much bigger than the small band of disciples, right? But the question remains, why do we want to kind of be gatekeepers of that? Um, I think the charitable read, right? Like, if I think about my own life, one of the reasons I want to be a gatekeeper of things is because I incorrectly assume that because I have found life, health, growth in a particular way, then that particular way must be normative. You know, and I, I, that, that's human nature, I think, is just to assume that whatever you've experienced is true for everyone else. <laughs> but what's great about this gospel reading is that you get some insight into uh, the, the power of God, which is able to find its way into the human heart in a myriad of ways it appears. Um, and Jesus affirms that and says, um, I think, you know, hey, be careful. Because um, my vision uh, for the love of God in the world is bigger than whatever you've got. But I, but I think, Kellen, to your question, just thinking about myself, is um, that's my answer, is that, you know, I, I'd like to, th- I, I assume, again, incorrectly, that my experience of things is normative. And we get in a lot of trouble when we start doing that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I feel like when I hear people talking about, you know, in groups and out groups and why we draw lines, there's always this sort of like evolutionary default. Like humans are just sort of made to be tribalistic and um, be loyal to their own. And I don't know, maybe part of that is true, but... I also think there's like more going on there, right? It's not just sort of this like evolutionary impulse, but something else or a lot of other things, perhaps. Like, I think people have certain allegiances and loyalties to like what they belong to. And when that is like threatened or, um, I mean, even just someone who's new coming to like a community can throw people and I, I think we do this in really big ways and really small ways. And I just, I've been thinking, like, what in me makes me draw that line? Is it my loyalties? Is it my fear of pain? That other people's pain is too much for me. I have my own pain, my own community's pain to deal with. I don't know. I'm thinking about that this week, though. In the end, you'll find yourself among kneeling grasses, shoulders out, chest out, sky in.
Here's a blessing. And the table will be wide, and the welcome will be wide, and the arms will open wide to gather us in, and our hearts will open wide to receive. And we will come as children who trust there is enough, and we will come unhindered and free, and our aching will be met with bread, and our sorrow will be met with wine. And we will open our hands to the feast without shame, and we will turn toward each other without fear. And we will give up our appetite for despair, and we will taste and know of delight. And we will become bread for a hungering world, and we will become drink for those who thirst. And the blessed will become the blessing, and everywhere will be the feast. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Empty Pews. It was awesome to be back with you this week. Um, I'd love to see you at church um, and mark your calendars for October 3, which is a Sunday. We have an animal blessing in the park at 4 p.m. So you should bring your pets and um, friends and come join us. It should be a wonderful time. But between now and then, uh, know that we love you. We miss you. God's peace. Peace.